You're listening to 1881, powered by the American Hereford Association and part of the Hereford Network. Here's your host, Shane Bedwell. Welcome back to another episode of 1881. This is your host, Shane Bedwell, and we're excited today to have a special guest uh, join us here for this uh, this episode. Uh, the title of this segment is uh, Industry Leading Research, and uh, we certainly appreciate all the positive feedback, the interest that you've had in 1881, and uh, we're really excited to uh, ramp up our coverage here this fall. We're going to try to bring you a few more uh uh, episodes uh, as we go into the fall and really gear up for uh, sale season uh, for the fall bull run and uh, the heifer sales as well as the annual meeting um, that we host here in Kansas City each and every fall during the American Royal. So exciting times in the breed undoubtedly and uh, this uh, episode we have a have a legend in the breed with us today and that is uh mr craig huffines craig thank you for joining us shane it's a pleasure uh thank you for the invitation uh just happy to be a part of the history of the hereford breed and and uh just tickled to see where it's headed uh y'all are doing a great job out there in kansas city and uh great testament to great families in the business and um, how that, how the breeds really, you know, turned around in the last 30 or 40 years. Well, we're excited to have you on and, uh, you know, not, not all the time to, is it possible to have a, uh, retiring executive vice president, uh, back on, um, you know, and, and, and be a part of an association. And we're going to get into that a little bit later and, and how, uh, you're, you're threaded still. Uh, with uh, some of our current uh, research initiatives and goals that we have here as an association. But, you know, I I think it speaks volumes to uh, what uh, you were able to accomplish here at the helm um, during your during your tenure as uh, EVP. And then, uh, you know, what where it really all began um, with your contributions through Certified Hereford Beef and uh, kind of working your way up the ladder. So we're excited to hear um, about your history, about your background and and those things and, and what you were able to accomplish here for the association. But it is a it is a big honor to have you on. I know talking to uh, some of our followers, they're like, you got you got to get Craig on. We got to hear from Craig. And, uh, you know, it's 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 one of those things that uh, we're we're deeply uh you know, we're, we're very proud of, of what, uh, has happened here, 1881, you know, it's, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, there's been a great, great legacy of leaders here at the association. So Craig, let's, let's kind of talk a little bit about, um, kind of the early years of, 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 of Mr. Craig Huffines and kind of what led you to, uh, you know, Colorado state there, but, uh, let's kind of start with some background. Uh, well, Shane, uh, you know, I grew up in North Central Texas and um, showed, uh, actually showed Angus Heifers, was a member of the Texas Junior Angus Association and uh, club steers and, and just, I had, you know, family friends that were, that were in the seed stock business that introduced our family to it. We had a small cow-calf operation. Uh, my father was in the, in the meat business. He was a, a meat broker for 45 years. And so, um, you know, I had a little bit of an understanding just being around him and his colleagues about trade and, and markets and, and things of that nature. And, you know, we were around horses and we had, we had quarter horses and, and, uh, and a handful of cows. And, you know, that, that really spurred my interest to, to go to Texas A&M University with, you know, initial thoughts like so many other young people to, to go to vet school. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, attended uh, Texas A&M and, and really didn't judge in 4-H. You know, we were just fitting cattle and showing around Texas club calf sales or shows. And um, and I met Dr. John Edwards at okay. a show. Yeah. And um, he said, hey, young man, uh, wh- why don't you come see me when you get to A&M? And I'd like to 
to uh, have you come out for this livestock judging team. Um, and so it did that. And um, Joel Kelly was his assistant coach at the time. Of course, mm-hmm. Joel's been CEO of the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And now I think he's running the Calgary Stampede. But that's right. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> those were two very influential, influential men in my life as an undergrad. Um, decided not to go to, to vet school and maybe judging kept me away from studying uh, biochemistry <laughs> and organic, you know, so uh, really just fell in love with livestock, livestock evaluation. And, uh, you know, on those trips, you know, some of those early trips were my first time, you know, at, at least north of Oklahoma City. Right. Uh, you know, growing up in north central Texas, you rarely back in those days left the state and uh, we traveled all over the country and I fell in love with with Colorado. Uh, we judged up at Wyoming and worked out before the National Western Contest and then came back through CSU and just fell in love with campus. And um, a couple of uh, uh, research scientists uh, were introduced to me and I just thought, wow, what a great place maybe to extend a, an education. And so uh, upon graduation, um, Mary John, my wife, uh, wife and I, we'd gotten married that summer. Okay. Um, we had an opportunity to, to, to come up here as a grad student. And, and uh, Dr. Gary Smith was the department head of animal science at, Te- at Texas A&M University. Right. And, uh, and unbeknownst to me, he had just taken the Monfort chair position of meat science at Colorado State. Right. You know, Kenny, Kenny Monfort was a icon in the meat industry and very Huge close. Icon. To, yep. And he was very close to Dr. Smith. And so Dr. Smith came up here and I got a phone call from, from, uh, from our department head at the time, David Ames. And he said, how would you like to work with Dr. Gary Smith? And I thought, well, what do you mean? He's our department head of animal science. He said, nope, he's heading this way. Uh, and he'd like for you to be his first graduate student. And I thought, wow, you know, what an honor. Oh my gosh. Um, so we came up, uh, did an internship, you know, with Montfort and, uh, hit the ground running. I mean, we had very quickly a very small meets, uh, graduate student class, uh, master's students and a couple of PhD students. And Dr. Smith put us to work. Um, we, uh, we first got involved with the national beef quality audit. I mean, that was right out of the box, 1990, the very first national beef quality audit that, you know, quantified the, the defects and the waste and the, the things that we needed to improve on as a beef industry. Um, and we were, you know, at the feedlots at Cuner and Gilcrest and hanging out with those feedlot vets and, and packing plant executives and just getting all of this just bull rush of information mm-hmm. about where, where the industry really needed to go. And um, Dr. Smith had a relationship with, um, with really another icon in the industry, uh, Hop Dickinson, who was the exec of the American Hereford Association. Right. At, at right. the time. And, and Hop had come to uh, Dr. Smith, you know, with some serious questions. And that was, uh, you know, we're losing market share as a breed. Um, what is it that we need to do to evaluate our cattle or product um, and kind of get us back on track? And Dr. Smith had been studying meats for 25 years. And he said, you know, Hop, there's some research back there that that shows that uh, despite levels of marbling, Hereford cattle have the inherent ability to produce a very tender product. He said, you should invest in a study, a national study uh, of a scope that's not ever been done before uh, to quantify that, to really understand what Hereford capabilities are, what their fat content is, do they have a different kind of fat, uh, and while you're doing that, just go ahead and run them through the feed yard and get some feed feed intake data and some performance information uh, because there's some myths out there that need to be dispelled yeah. uh, at the time. And so uh, the, the, the association funded this massive three-year project, and, and I was uh, the lead on that, had two other great colleagues uh, uh, that were working with me uh, uh, on that project. Uh, Dr. Daryl Tatum was involved in it. Dr. Tom Field was involved with it, and of course, Dr. Gary Smith was the lead. And um, the result of the, that three-year study really defined the breed and its capabilities uh, mm-hmm. from a commercial standpoint. And number one, we had long yearlings and yearling cattle from big ranches 
uh, around the country, and they just absolutely blew the doors off on performance. So it was the first time we had ever heard of Hereford cattle, uh, you know, gaining over four pounds a day. Um, and that was in 1990. Right. They just had tremendous growth uh, and rate of gain and feed efficiency. Um, and really the veterinarian, the head veterinarian over at Monfort couldn't believe it. He said, our scales are wrong. And I said, well, let's go check the scales. <laughs> um, well, we didn't shrink them right. Well, we're shrinking them like we shrink every day cattle. And, uh, really it was impressive. And then, you know, over a couple of years, we, we, uh, we looked at the palatability and the tenderness of ribeye from all of those cattle. And, and then we looked at crosses, you know, boss syndicus, Hereford crosses and black baldies and continental crosses and try to come up with a uh, kind of that sweet spot of cattle that would fit this potentially branded beef program. And so, you know, at the time, certified Angus beef had been 10 years running and um, we're really gaining traction as the brand. Yep. There were very, very few brands back in those days, Shane, as you know, and um, I know Mel Coleman had a natural brand. Um, there was a Maverick natural brand. You had CAB and, you know, it was pretty wide open really, uh, except for some private label box brands. But, um, that was the initial, initial phase of what I think today, um, really put a highlight and really emphasize to our breeders, Hereford breeders, that it, that it really matters to understand the carcass attributes of your cattle. Right. You know, it got us back in the commercial side of the business. Um, so, um, graduated after a couple of years and hop called and, uh, I'd had an opportunity to go to work at Monfort and hop says, uh, you know, we'd like for you to, to come work for us and maybe continue some of that carcass evaluation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I made a decision to 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 go to work for the American Hereford Association. That was September of 1992, and uh, boy, I tell you, I, I don't regret it. Boy, it was a, a great decision for our family, um, right. and quite a ride. So, Craig, uh, were you? Did you come to Kansas City uh, for that position, or did you stay out in the in the mountain uh, in Colorado there in the in the Front Range? Yeah. So interestingly enough. Um, you know, Hop and the board of directors at the time wanted to really rebuild our carcass program. They had done that in the early 80s and abandoned that program in the early 80s. And they said, let's get this thing going again. So they left they left us out here in Fort Collins so that we could work with, with Montfort's feed yards. Uh, we worked with LaSalle feeders. Uh, and my first job was as director of feedlot and carcass programs. And so we developed uh, what I think still today, the genetic outreach program, uh, you know, a carcass value discovery right. pro program that, uh, you know, producers would, breeders would send, you know, their steers and they could send as few as five head. And, uh, and, and that was an educational program. It was really very much almost an extension type program. And we would run closeouts and individual PLs on those on those cattle they'd get all their performance and of course that's still going on I don't there's no telling how many thousand head have been run through that in 30 years but um, uh, it really got the conversation going about mm -hmm. where the breed was in terms of carcass quality and and ribeye in 1995 three years later uh, we had hosted the World Hereford conference. In Fort and, Collins, right? You betcha. It was in yep. it was in Fort Collins, yep. and, and Doctor Tatum and Doctor Smith, Doctor Field, and Hop got together, and they said, "Hey, let's do something extraordinary." And they had found some semen back uh, from the 1950s at Clay Center, Minimal Research Center, some 1950 model uh, Herefords, and then they had some 1970 model semen, and then the 1990 models. Yeah. And we and we went up to Monahan's uh, Circle Dot Ranch, Monahan Cattle Company in Hyannis, Nebraska. Right. Bred those cows, and we uh, we got to demonstrate what the breed had done over those periods of time. Now, granted, these were modern commercial cows. Right. So you're really looking at half the in, the effect of you know those 1950 and 70s, but uh, 
but we we slaughtered those cattle. We did cut out grade on them. They they had one steer that they froze with the hide on. If a lot of people will remember that, and cut a section of the rib and loin out, where you could actually see, uh, you know, the the anatomy of that animal, and they put it on this rope rotation uh this big stand that rotated around and i'm telling you the folks from south america were just you know in europe were just enamored well all of us really i mean it was just a wonderful display yeah um and they 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 evaluated those steers live and then we had carcass data as well and uh, again uh you know what did that tell us well we you know we put about 150 pounds uh, of car, you know, hundred pounds of carcass, about 150 pounds of live weight yeah. on our cattle. We, you know, each, each of those generations added, you know, an inch or two of ribeye area. Marbling didn't change much over those years, but we just, we made them bigger, a little bit more muscular, but you know, we, from that, we said, Hey, you know, we need, we need more carcass, uh, quality. Right. We need more marbling. We need more ribeye. And, uh, it really started a major movement in uh you know changing the confirmation and the uh the, the quality attributes of, of the breed at that mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. so you kind of <clears throat> get through the you know kind of during that time of you know what was in the works uh from the association standpoint was the building of the branded beef program that we know today as chb so that was I mean, you're you're right there in the mecca of the icons of the industry. You've got Dr. Gary Smith, you got Dr. Daryl uh, Tatum, and uh, you know all the the good feed yards around in this research. And uh, so, you know, I, I I don't think very. I mean, I, there's several people that do know the beginning, but for a lot of our listeners, yeah. you know, tell us kind of, you know, you get this data, you get this research, and so, you know, the hop and the board you know how did it all happen with with the formation of of the program well that's an interesting story um you know they trusted a pretty young fella to go out and do some fishing and we did a lot of fishing uh you know we'd talked to cargill xl we'd uh, we'd been up to talk to ibp at the time in sioux falls south dakota um monfort uh, even though we we had done all this research with them, they they just weren't really interested in taking on a brand. And uh, we had we had met some cattle feeders from Iowa, and a man by the name of Gordon Reisinger had partners, and he had traded cattle, and uh, it was a company called Mid Ag, and uh, <laughs> he was uh, he was a risk taker to say the least, and put together his own funding with his partners and said, Hey, we'd like to be licensed to try this. Um, and at the time I, I had been talking to retailers. Um, we brought a gentleman on by the name of Dave Ellicott, who was a Kroger buyer, meat mm-hmm. buyer. Yep. Very knowledgeable gentleman. He popped carcasses in the plant and I got to meet him over at the plant and he was a sharp guy and, and he bought in and, and Gordon hired him. Um, uh, Stacy Sanders, who's with us, you know, with us today and over operations there. And yeah, he was at certified Angus beef and talked him into coming over to be an operations person and started building this little company. And, uh, uh, 1995, we wound up getting our two first customers. Uh, one was a, a supermarket out of Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico furs supermarket had about 63 stores. And then there was a, a pretty big personality that had come into the Hereford business, a gentleman from Cuba uh, named Arturo Torres. And he had been a, uh, a business builder of, of Pizza Hut franchises, one of the largest Pizza Hut franchise owner in the country. Um, he had friends in Pizza Hut that started Lone Star Steakhouse, the Coulter Brothers, and they invited him into that, and he did not get into that steakhouse business. And during the 90s, you know, Lone Star just skyrocketed stock price. They went public, and yep. this, uh, you know, this casual dining steakhouse theme, uh, and then Outback came behind that, uh, just uh, just skyrocketed. And so 
Arturo says, well, I'm going to start my own steakhouse. We're going to call it Velody Ranch. Uh, through the first two letters of his three daughters' name, Velody. Uh, and uh, it was an interesting time. They were building restaurants in, in San Antonio and Dallas-Fort Worth and moved out to Puerto Rico. And uh, he wanted Hereford. He wanted Hereford beef. And, um, you know, he had bought... Hereford cattle. I mean, he was setting the market in the business at that time, buying seed stock, mm-hmm. um, bought a big ranch down in Carn City, Texas, which was a hot place down in South Texas, and built a big home and and uh, started having sales. He bought uh, Collier's um, Champion Mile High Bull, and uh, we had a big time in Denver at that time, uh, right. you know, on, on television uh, with the uh, Mile High on the sidewalks of downtown Denver. And so there was a, a lot of hustle and bustle. Uh, of launching this brand um and but the back the back side of that was just painful i mean you know <laughs> you had all this promotion out front and on the back side we're trying to get cattle bought and procured and put into feedlots we're trying to get them processed and our first slaughter was uh our, our first processing day was in sterling colorado at, okay. at an old old xl plant and uh we we had actually two thousand well, that no, the first time we'd had about two, 250 head of cattle, uh, and we were going to process and then move carcasses to Colorado box beef in Denver. So we had to tram them down to Denver. And Unbelievable. Then we would, we'd break them in that plant and box them. We had a nice white box with the logo on it. You know, we'd trademark the logo and went through all the USDA certification to get this certified program up and rolling. It was a selector hire program. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, we originally were talking about having a, a, a top select or higher, but the graders couldn't call it. Uh, they couldn't call that line. And so we had to drop down and get select and started shipping beef into Albuquerque and, and into San Antonio and got those things going. Um, this was in 1995. And uh, um, it wasn't too long that Dave Ellicott and Gordon said, hey, this this system's not working. I mean, we're just not, we're not able to control enough of our quality when we're moving carcasses around. And so they, they wound up talking to Monfort and Monfort opened up their plant in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, for a custom processing, um, uh, deal that, um, that they worked out. And the first processing day at that plant, we brought in over 2,100 heads. I'll be uh, and it, they scrambled and they got them from all over. And some of Gordon's partners didn't know exactly what a Hereford was supposed to look like. And so I was out there kicking out short horns and, <laughs> and Brock, you know, and, 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 you know, there was a little bit of a mix of things that we're trying to get in there. So we were yep. sorting cattle off and Gordon, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. These are, these are Hereford and Baldies. And, uh, right. we tried, we kind of drew a line in the sand and, and wound up, uh, you know, there for about a good year, uh, anywhere from 1500 to 2000 head a week. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going through there and that created some dynamics that we, uh, had not experienced before. And, you know, when, when you're buying fats, fat cattle, all of a sudden there's these farmer feeders that are hearing about this and they want to know, well, can I get in on that? And what are the premiums? And so MedAg was paying premiums and, uh, buying cattle from around the country and began to engage some of our field service at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Will, Willard Wolf was one of our great fieldmen of the Western States. And man, he sent a lot of cattle back to Nebraska and Iowa and, and others, you know, others would, would develop little special feeder calf sales or, uh, to kind of funnel into that program and, and things, we got another retailer in, in Cleveland, Ohio. So things were rolling and our volumes were up. Um, not sure the profitability of the company was up, but, uh, yeah. you know, as startups tend to be, but, uh, but our volume was up and it was creating a lot of promotional opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, there was a saga behind all that development. And, and then suddenly we got a call on a Friday, one Friday afternoon that said, Hey guys, uh, we're not going to be able to take your cattle on Monday morning at Montford. We're going to discontinue this. Oh my. Uh, so we had a weekend. Uh, to figure out what we were going to do with two big retail customers and a restaurateur counting on us meeting their 
their needs. And so, uh, several calls we went to, uh, we looked, we talked to greater Omaha. And so they, they brought us in, uh, for a little bit. Uh, but, but a gentleman that became not only a great friend, but a lifelong friend of the Hereford business that many people will recognize is gentleman by the name of Bob Norton. Right. Who was a big part of our foundation and a big Certainly. part of by the firm. Well, he was the CEO of, of uh, beef America up in Norfolk, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. He said, guys, I'll take care of you. Come on up here. Um, so we really shifted very quickly to beef America, wonderful relationship, just a super, super good businessman. Um, one of the best businessmen we'd ever worked with mm-hmm. to this day mm-hmm. and, uh, and kept us rolling. Um, and so, uh, wasn't too long after we'd gotten started, Beef America had a recall, an E. coli recall. So, you know, we're in the genetics business, right? We're in yep. the purebred livestock industry. And I have board of directors. Uh, you know, we all are working for board of directors who are not food people. They're not meat people. Um, and just about everything that can happen to you can happen to you during this time frame. Uh, Beef America was going to be shut down. Uh, they couldn't recover from this E. coli uh, publicity that uh, had had challenged so many companies, um, and so we we wound up going back to 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 uh, Greater Omaha Packing Company. Yeah, uh, kept us going. Um, so you know there was about two or three years in there of just challenges and upstart struggles, but kind of kept it rolling. And we often wondered, well. Uh, is this really driving demand? Is this helping? I think, uh, I think in a nutshell, it engaged us in the commercial industry again, yep. uh, gave us something to get to talk about, to strive for. It focused us on in product. You know, we're producing beef here, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, not just hide, we're producing beef. And so, you know, through all those struggles, we just kept it, kept it alive, kept it going. So the, you know, we're kind of in the, what now, the mid to kind of late 90s, Craig. And, you know, I know the, you know, ultrasound and carcass CPDs were started in 98. And so, you know, this this would have catapulted uh, the effort to, you know, start getting more scan data on our uh, seed stock animals and that push there. And so that absolutely, it's kind of amazing to think the branded beef program was, initiated started before even what we had in the carcass epds you know and so you think about what we have you know we we go from scan epds to now to to carcass epds that we have today in the evaluation to now genomic markers that that enhance those carcass epds and if it wouldn't have been for the research that you would have done in grad school you know where would we be because we wouldn't have had a baseline, right? You know, and so that that formation of that research study, that initial Hereford study in CSU did so much good uh, for the breed to say, hey, here we are, here's where we need to go, and and here's how we can get there. That's a great point, Shane. You know, uh, uh, we, we had EPDs in the, in the 80s, and, you know, in the early days, in the 19, early 80s, when EPDs – just first came out, they weren't perfect, mm-hmm. but they were the best information we had. And when you come out with a set of numbers like that, there's a lot of discovery and there's winners and there's losers. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a bell curve. And I think those early days, there were some great bulls that didn't shine so well on carcass. And that disappointed a lot of the, the you know, the leadership. And so they said, well, this can't be right. You know, yeah. and we got over that. And, uh, you know, when you get in the packet business and cattle feeding industry, things are real, really fast. I mean, it's every day. Uh, there's a, there's, they're voting with their dollars and they're paying based on value. And um, that really began to focus. So you just notched it in 1998. Uh, uh, we started scanning and later, you know, the industry came together. The Beef Breeds Council came together and formed, a, you know, a, a cooperative uh, system by which we uh, we were able to standardize scanning and mm-hmm. third party third party reads of, of ribeye and marbling and IMF and 
Um, so that was, yeah, an interesting time that really catapulted us forward. Certainly. So, you know, Craig, uh, let's talk a little bit about your transition, you know, from, you know, being director of, you know, the carcass program to, you know, CHB, I guess I, I really don't know kind of that, that transition as, as far as, you know, when, when hop decided to retire Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, as you were juggling the carcass programs and certified her for beef and, you know, that, uh, you know, that interview time where the board of directors said, okay, you know, here's, here's a, here's an opportunity, Craig, are you interested in being the, the next executive vice president? Well, at at the same time we were starting the beef program, uh, two associations, two competing associations, AHA and APHA were having merger talks, right? Yep. Um, And there was some consternation about that. Um, And Hop and the APHA CEO, uh, EVP, was Ed Bible, just a super nice guy, great individual. He was a journalist. He 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 wrote a you know, hard to argue, but he had uh, unbelievable awards in publishing. Um, those two gentlemen got together and they said, "Hey, you know, we're not going to beat this uh, this pro- proliferation of continental European breeds taking our market share if, if we're not going to do it together." Yeah. Um, you know, just an amazing explosion of continental European breeds that were coming over before they turned black. <laughs> uh, and, and and the Angus uh, popularity was gaining traction from 86 on as well. So, so Hop and Ed got together with their boards and they went to their membership and they voted for a merger, which passed. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, a lot of hard selling on that. And so 19, in 1995, I was by then, working heavily on on the branded beef program as director of certified her for beef that merger happened and then they moved uh, the APHA staff into the American Herp Association headquarters just moved everybody in there together um we then had the world conference in 1997 um gosh it was probably in the spring hop called me he says uh he said I need you Actually, ninety-five. He called me in ninety-five. Said, I need you. I need you to move to Kansas City. Um, we're merging. I have an office for you. I need you here um, while we blend these 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 staffs together. Mm-hmm. So, uh, put a put a for sale sign up. Moved out to KC, and um, and then two years later, he announced that he he was going to retire, um, and. Uh, at that time, we had two computers, and we had divided the records department into polled and horn departments because oh we had yeah. we had not been able to merge the data yet. Yeah, and there was a lot of duplication of registrations. You know, both both associations dual registered polled and horn cattle, so we had a lot of that duplication. And and you know, breeders would call in, and and front desk would ask, "Well, are you a polled breeder or are you a horn breeder?" And boy, that just got the, everybody's dire up, you know, I, I, and, uh, Oh, oh my you know, gosh, I you cannot know. imagine, you know, a breeder's <laughs> calling in and they've got a question, right. And it yeah. needs to be answered. And then you hit them right away. And they're like, you know, they don't know if I'm pulled or they don't know if I'm horned and, by, yeah. you know, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and you had, yeah. you had these, uh, employees that had been there for decades and, and knew everybody, you know, and so somebody knew was answering the phone and boy, yep. I just got everybody's dire up. And yep. so, uh, so Hop called me in his office one day, spring in, in 97. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging them up. Um, uh, are you going to apply for my position? And it just floored me. It just, yeah. I, I had not even thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, was thinking about trying to grow a beef company uh, and get Herford uh, back to par on pricing in the sell barns and feedlots and um i said hop i just i'm not ready um i was 29 at the time yeah uh shane and and i i'm not ready um 
I, there's too much going on over here. Um, and he says, well, there'll be some people call you about that because I think they think you're ready. And, and I went home, told my wife, and she just broke down and started crying. She said, oh, Craig, you've, you know, you're gone enough. Now, you're, you know, what do you think you're gonna, is going to happen when if you were to take that? And Oh, two weeks later, he calls me back in the office and he says, uh, so made up your mind yet? I said, no, sir. No, sir, I haven't. And um, I said, but I do have a question or two for you, Hob. I said, you and Ed put this company together, this organization together. Mm -hmm. And there's really only one reason to do that, and that is to get economy of scale, get the volume up. But with the staff size of just one organization. Right. And I said, there's going to be some really tough times ahead. Um, because you don't do this and have a, a staff of 95, you do this and you have a staff of 45. Right. And I said, when are you going to make some of those decisions? And he said, uh, he said, Craig, the new guy's going to have to make those decisions because that's going to be the new person's team. Well, if you don't think that just put a big old rock in the middle of your throat, yeah. you know, at, at 29, 30 years of age. Um, but he was right. I mean, he was right about that. And um, I got a numerous phone calls from board members uh, encouraging me to do that. And numerous phone calls from readers encouraging me, encouraging me not to do that. <laughs> uh, and um, Mary John and I had a, a lot of conversation about it. We said, well, let's give it a shot. And it was, it was risky being that young to do that. Um, but what really encouraged me was the people who were calling me that were on the board and to a, to a T they said, Craig, we know you're, you lack some experience and there's going to be some life experiences that you go through when we re-engineer this organization. He said, we want you to know we're going to go through it with you. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about bearing the weight and the load of this on your own. We want you to be there. We want to be your team. We want to help you uh, navigate. And we know you have a lot to learn, but, um, but we think that this direction we're headed, we need to continue. We don't need to disrupt it. And so they talked me into, to interviewing and, and I wound up, you know, getting that position, but, um, and then the work, and then the work started. Yeah. I, I can't imagine, you know, as a, as a almost 30 young, young family. And, uh, you know, you've got, uh, so much on your mind with certified her for beef. And, uh, you know, like you said, two hallmark associations merge. And I mean, you have hallmark employees that have been with the breed, been through the times. And now you've got to take a team of 90 down to a team of, you know, 45. So, I mean, it's just like, how, you know, yeah, where, where do I where start? Do, you where know? do you even start? Yeah, yep. it was, uh, so I took about a year to just figure out where the light switches were. Um, you know, we also had two computers and we had different sets of programmers and, and um, um, there were some, there were some people within the organization that I knew were, I'm going to call them servant hearts. Okay. They were servants regardless of who was on the other end of the phone. Yeah. Okay. They didn't care. Um, and there was a lady named Jean that, uh, was just a very stoic business-like, uh, lady that, uh, that had been running the records department of APHA. And I just started having little coffee visits with her. And, um, and I was convinced that if anybody can pull this team of, of employees together in records, it, it could be her because she's going to be unbiased. She's going to be fair and she's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and I made her supervisor over the entire thing and it just created a firestorm. And, and so the firestorm weeded itself out and, and, um, 
Um, and she started building teams and, um, and then we had others, you know, we had executives that, uh, we had just too many executives. And so there were some tough decisions at that level that we made, but we made them based on whether or not they felt like they could work for everybody. Yeah. You know, can they work for everybody or are they just going to work for the people they've been working for? Right. And we made some very difficult decisions there because they were quality people, really mm-hmm. good people. But I just felt like, you know, we got to get everybody working together, pulling together. Yep. And so those, those were some of the tough decisions. Um, and then of course, over time, I began, we began to add people and, you know, what I'm so grateful for is the people we added that are still there today. Yeah. You know, and we go through a list of them, but you know, Joe Rickabon and uh, Amy Cowan and um, early days. I mean, they were there. Um, yep. And then we brought in Jack, which just, he was able to really change the game in terms of breed improvement and, and credibility of breed improvement. And, and, uh, and we brought in Rob Ames to help out with the beef program. Uh, and he lasted a few years and, um, and before he went into, into the pharmaceutical business, but, you know, we just had a really good team. Um, and that team is that legacy still there. And, and that's brought in Stacy. Stacy came over from, uh, from, uh, well, Red Oak farms, which right. was previously mid ag, you know, we, yep. we went and raised money for that and he came over and brought his technical background to, to really help us kind of try to navigate these computer challenges. Um, right. which were, which were another story, you know, just yeah, the, 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 the times and stories and tribulations of records department and what he shared. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't well, imagine. Yeah. You know, we had Y2K, you know, we were never, nobody really knew what Y2K was going to do. We thought, you know, it could be the end of the earth as we know it, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that was a big decision we made to go to Australia to mm-hmm. breed plan. And, and Arthur Ricards, uh, yep. told us, he says, uh, we're going to have you up and running by October uh, on budget and on time. And that's the first and only time in my experience in working with computer programmers that that, that happened. They delivered. They, had, they delivered on October two months ahead of Y2K. Yeah. And uh, that really saved our business um, yeah. because data, data is what drives it. And, and they mm-hmm. really were able to help elevate our game. Right. Yeah, and we're still using that same uh, software uh, program today for the registry uh, business. You know, Stacy's evolved that over time, and uh, we've gone through some different updates. But that's the that's the same system we're still using today, Craig. You know, yeah, uh, to to a large extent. Well, it was just uh, you know it changed our ability to communicate. Uh, you know, the EPDs, the data, uh, do searches. You know, before they had printed out handouts, they just huge notebooks and overlays, you know, that, that they would have to order extremely costly. And this, well, when you got it to your fingertips, the, the speed at which they can make decisions changed overnight, you know? And then when you added those EPDs like calving ease and utter, utter scores and and indexes, um, uh, and you had a, you truly had a, a carcass EPD when the scans were able to correlate to true carcass, Boy, I just we created these top two hundred sire lists, and all of a sudden, people people had more information they knew what to do with, yep. and uh, and they used it wisely. And um, it's just a remarkable time in technology advancement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the one of the things I always like sharing, um, which you would have been right in the middle of, as another I think hallmark of your your leadership at Hereford was the. Um, whole herd TPR. I mean, you guys would have started that in, in 2001, you know, alongside kind of the reference sire program, it was a continuation on of your carcass, um, you know, efforts, but, uh, you know, those two initiatives, you know, are paying dividends still today and the quality of data that you guys built at that time in the early two thousands. I mean, I just can't thank you enough for that effort with whole herd TPR and our board of directors vision to have, to build that kind of a platform. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Shane. And, um, what it took, it took some real intestinal fortitude for the board of directors to push that initiative. 
you know, we met for two years um, with a performance committee about how to structure that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Red Angus right out of the box before they started an association, they, they built their breed on that. And so it was easy for them because everybody agreed we're going to do this. But you go back to voluntary to mandatory, that's uh, a different ball game. And, you know, it'd been a major topic at Beef Improvement Federation. And how do you structure the business of it? Mm-hmm. And, um, well, we had some breeders on that committee. And I can't remember them all, but I remember guys like Lee Haygood and um, Monty Souls and um, uh, Ma- uh, Marty Lewick. I mean, there's there's several. Uh, John Lowen. There's, there's several. Uh, Jack and Coop and a lot of line one guys, they were, they said, yeah, data, data matters. And, um, yeah, we got a lot of pushback when that was launched, but, uh, today I agree with you. It's uh, it was a game changer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, kind of fast forward a little bit, Craig, you know, uh, you know, you would have retired, uh, you know, through, you know, uh, AHA there in the, what was it? The fall of 2005 to not 2005 would have been 14, 15 sometime in there. Right. Right. Yeah. Tw- 2014. Yeah. 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 So that was a tough call, uh, a, a, a tough decision for me, um, you know, leaving family really in the Hereford business. Right. Um, but there was some challenges, there and, and growing up a kid in North Central Texas and you know getting the Court Horse Journal um, and really following you know those iconic sires over the years um, just being a ranch kid that just admired well for one great livestock but great stock in general mm-hmm. I got a call um, from a search company that said hey would you be interested in interviewing for the job and it had been the first time that AQHA had ever gone outside for an executive. Um, and so, boy, that was a tough decision. And one that, of course, my wife's from Canyon, Texas. So, I mean, it's like she was twisting my arm a little bit and said, Hey, that could get us back home to some family and a place that I know and, um, uh, a place I love. And so, uh, so we made that decision together and, um, uh, interviewed and, and really, um, wound up, you know, taking that job. It was an honor. It was an honor to be a part of 24 years of Hereford history, but, you know, I made that leap, uh, and it was something different, right. you know, there, it was something that maybe a time in my career, I felt like I wanted to learn something different. Um, and I knew it would be just dramatically, dramatically different mm-hmm. than, then the really thoughtful, methodical, strategic way that a breed association, the Hereford breed goes about change, you know, thinking five and seven years out, I just knew that this is going to be a different ball game. Right. Um, and I wanted to learn something about, uh, mass marketing and communication and, uh, you know, with a breed association of 250,000 members and 30,000 of them are outside of the country. It was, it was something that I felt like I could really benefit from learning from. And so we did make that move and it was a extraordinary time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it was a time that after six and a half years kind of worse, both slick, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a big job. Um, there's a lot of competing forces, a lot of different constituencies, I felt like this probably is what a congressman or a senator feels like because there's so many needs. How, right. do you balance, how do you balance those things? And you're constantly battling welfare agendas, um, uh, you know, trying to protect the horse and you're, you're dealing with bad actors and from racing to, to cutting to reining to all around. I mean, you name it. Um, I had a, any given day, I would be in a different, a different uh, event and culture. You know, mm-hmm. we were, we, one of the things I'm most proud of is that we, we established a, uh, uh, quality assurance team, uh, on the backside of racetracks that, yep. uh, would, would go in on the big race days and we'd search trucks. We, we, we had dogs trained to find needles and syringes and, and uh, medications that were, that were not legitimate for race day. And, um, you know, we really started to put the heat on the welfare for the horse and, and quarter horse racing and, um, enjoyed that 
I uh, got to meet some really good people from the jockey club and the, you know, the thoroughbred side of the industry, different demographic altogether. And, and the one thing I really loved about AQHA, um, besides the youth, which I really loved at Hereford as well. Right. Uh, I love the ranch horse, um, and the breeding of the ranch horse and our, you know, our legacy breeders. And, you know, some of those folks, a lot of those folks were, were bull by, were our bull customers, you That's know, That's right. Yeah. On the, yep. on the Hereford side. And, uh, but big commercial operators that bred just beautiful horses and good-minded athletic mm-hmm. quarter horses. And uh, so it was a, just an honor, you know, yep. a real honor to, to be there and a great experience. And um, and then, uh, of course, started getting some calls from Colorado State, you know, yep. probably at the right time. Yeah. So home, homecoming, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're back at one of your alma maters uh, now. uh Craig, you serve as the director of equine sciences and elite bovine and equine genetics at Colorado State, and so uh, you know it's uh, it's got to be fun on the front range again being there. Um, you know, a lot of the the names and faces have changed, yeah. um, but the history doesn't, right? You know, and so uh, the tradition of CSU and uh, the Aggies. The now I've got a question, just total off <laughs> off topic. Who were the original Aggies? Was it was it Texas A and M or Colorado A and M? Well, that's a great question. Um, so, eighteen I want to say eighteen ninety eighteen ninety three was yeah. when Texas A and M was formed. Uh-huh. And I'm going to have to go look it up here at Colorado yeah. State. So, yeah, it was got land grants were land grants. You know, kind of about the same time. So they we'll have all- to go look. They were all hitting there about the same time. So, as yep. uh, you, a uh, new generation Colorado State enthusiast, they're yep. now known as the Rams, but in the old days, and there's still an A on uh, on the side of the uh, the hill right there above the uh, Horse Tooth Reservoir that the freshmen every year go up there and paint uh, and, and whitewash the A again, and that's for Colorado A and M. So. Just a little yeah. history there, but uh, yeah, well, we we still sport the A. You know, they brought back the orange A logo, so awesome. So, so they're back to talking about Aggies, and uh, that's a good thing because we're in a state here in Colorado, as you're aware, very polarized yeah. uh, from uh, the urban suburban uh, corridor uh, and our rural folks out there. And so, when we flash that A, it means something here. Yeah. Uh, and it means that we're going to continue the mission of uh, of delivering to rural America mm-hmm. uh, good science and good training of of students. And um, you know, there's there's days where you wonder, you know, are we going to be able to keep that? And I think I think under our chancellor, uh, so long as he's there, it's going to be about agriculture. And yeah. uh, I'm pleased with that. Yeah. So uh, you know what. Uh, just kind of for our listeners and, and audience, you know, uh, Jack and I, we've, we've had several discussions and I think, uh, several of the listeners, um, know now that we have a partnership, uh, going on with Colorado state university. And, uh, you know, it was, it was speared ahead, uh, with our talks with, with Craig, uh, and it's like, you know, let's, let's get the whole band back together, uh, again, you know, and, you know, Jack and Craig's, long tenure uh, here at the association together and all the um, success that they had uh, with, you know, you, you talk about the Circle A project, you talk about the Harris Ranch project, you talk about the genomic era and the push and more phenotypes. And, you know, it's just like, you know, this is almost a sign, you know, Craig's back at Colorado State where it all began, you know, with a, a Hereford study that would have catapulted CHB and changed the course of, of the Hereford breed and our, and our, you know, our emphasis on, you know, the true economically relevant traits. And, you know, we're, we're conducting some sustainability research now, you know, uh, you know, looking at uh, something that's a little bit different uh, than maybe the traditional aspects uh, that we focused on as far as, you know, some of the carcass data and feed intake data, but it all, it all flows hand in hand right to the consumer. And if, and if we're not 
uh, producing beef and seed stock at uh, the top tier level that has the consumer in mind, then, you know, one may question, are, are we, are we doing the right thing? And so that's what kind of led us back together again, Craig, you know, as an association and uh, Colorado State University. And uh, let's talk a little bit about, yeah. um, you know, what, what we're doing uh, with you guys now. Well, first of all, uh, you know, Shane, thank you for, for putting the team together and, and really sitting down with Colorado State University as a, as a research service provider of industry. And, you know, there, there was something that I learned from, at, from the Quarter Horse Association uh, surrounding welfare of, of horses. And that is, if you continue to go down a track that has a spotlight on it of criticism, there could be t- become a time where the public votes to pull your license to operate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Horse racing is in that spotlight. Yeah. Um, and so they're doing everything humanly possible to evaluate horses, to uh, protect that horse, have the right surface to run on, making sure we're not overusing medications so that there's a safe run of the horse, because if it's not, they could be voted off the island and lose the license to operate. Mm-hmm. So if you think about our beef industry, you know, we know that our contribution to greenhouse gases is less than 2%, right? I mean, it's been well-documented. Yep. Um, you know, we, we spend an awful lot of time in the air on airplanes and we drive big SUVs and we all know that uh, that's the big contributor. And of course, the biggest contributor is, is heating our homes and apartments and big buildings in New York City. So, but but we have this spotlight on us. And that spotlight says, hey, if we had a preference, we would consume something that would have less of an impact on the environment than perhaps beef. Now that's coming from people who have no knowledge of that, but have another agenda, mm-hmm. which is let's eliminate animal protein from our diet. So uh, this whole Ag Next program, which is really led by wonderful scientist, Kim Stackhouse, um, who has uh, really uh, you know, devoted her career, uh, as well as many others on her team, to uh, sustainability, mm-hmm. really uh, um, maintaining the sustainability of our natural resource so that we might have a license to operate into the future and the future generations of our ag kids. Um, and so this all came together, uh, you know, through your guidance and Jack Ward's guidance to, you know, can we measure, can we actually measure the breed's contribution to greenhouse gas? Uh, is there something that that is related to, whether it's efficiency, uh, performance? Uh, is there something about the individual animal genetically, or is it something that we may be able to moderate through, uh, through perhaps down the road, some sort of uh, supplementing of, uh, of, of sorts. Uh, but is there a genetic component to methane production, nitrogen production, nitrogen solids, uh, which is obviously another area of waste that, uh, that we're worried about uh, getting in the water and what have you. So um, there's a, just a tremendous team here, as you're well aware, Shane, of, of scientists that, uh, that want to measure that. And then can we actually, is there possibility that that there's a genetic component that we need to be aware of uh, that might be able to become managed in the future as well certainly you know and i'm I'm just excited to you know our board of directors said you know hey you know this is a time you know that herford can be a leader you know in this uh, aspect and you know we went to we went to a place that as a leader you know, in this field and Colorado State University uh, with with uh, Kim Stackhouse, the Ag Next uh, program. And then, uh, you know, you've got uh, Dr. Mark Enns and Dr. Scott Spadell there and their team. And, you know, Craig, you're kind of woven right in the middle of them uh, with the, the Hereford herd, the purebred seed stock herd that you guys have reinvigorated and uh, brought back to life. And, uh, you know, it's a it's an exciting time, but our board of directors said, Hey, you know, this is, this is something we're going to find out for Hereford, but we want to be, you know, 
right on the front end of this and be a leader for the beef industry because it's it's just not a it's not a Hereford issue. It's a beef issue, and it is. uh, you, you put it so well, um, the the right to operate, you know, yeah. um, and uh, we 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 want to make sure that uh, this great breed that we have today can have a license to operate for future generations and we don't know exactly what we're going to find in this study um but we're going to get to the the facts um that way we can share that story with our uh, retailers our food service folks when they ask what are you guys doing in the area of sustainability and what is your e- esg statement what what what's what's going on with hereford how, how can this be viable for, for us for the future? And how does CHB all fit into this? And, uh, you know, we have such a great story to tell uh, with the, the legacy, the tradition, all the incredible things that you did while you were at Hereford for 24 years that kind of led us to this point. And, and honestly, folks, this is just the next logical step in our evolution of performance programs and and research that has allowed this association to be at the point where we're at today. So Shane, I think it's a bold move. Um, and I, and I really, I want to parallel it with, um, you know, the desire in the 1990s to tell our, our own story about our carcass traits to, to go out and really find out, to really discover, um, you know, what is it that we need to do to improve, uh, the outcome, uh, and the quality and the cutability of our cattle uh, because, you know, the packers, uh, the feedlot operators, the cell barn operators were telling that story for us at the time, uh, resulting in, in some discounting. So it's very parallel to that. So, you know, if we, if we go out and really identify and understand, you, you know, the mechanism of this ruminant animal, mm-hmm. uh, this breed that has been focused on for now over 300 years, and really focused on genetically the last 20 years. Uh, what is it we're, are we gonna, going to find? Can we find breed advantages? Um, um, and, and at the end of the day, it's just like when we got involved with Hereford Beef. We cared about commercial marketing because we were interested in the outcomes and the premiums discovered, perhaps. So here's another opportunity to to find out and tell our own story and to engage in the conversation and, and your customers are going to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the Tysons of the world, the Cargills, the JBS, um, I mean, they're building teams around sustainability mm-hmm. uh, and those end users, uh, the Kroger's, um, the Wegmans, the big retail box chains, they're building teams around sustainability. And so if you come in as an industry and say, Hey, we've measured this. And what we can tell you is, um, you know, perhaps it's a net zero, right? You know, at the end of the day, is it a net positive? Is it a net zero? Is it a sink? Is it a net net negative? And, mm-hmm. um, do these, do these animals benefit the environment? And, I'm going to bet on that. You know, I'm just going to put a bet out there that at the end of the day, we're going to, we're going to learn something pretty special mm-hmm. about what our Hereford cattle can do uh, relative to sustainability. Yeah. Exciting times. And uh, it's certainly uh, great to have you back in the fold. And I, and I know you really never went away, um, you know, because uh, uh, Hereford has a, has a special soft spot, uh, has a special, uh, soft spot in everybody's heart. That's been a connected and, and been a part of the breed. And, uh, it's just a really exciting time, I think, uh, to, to move forward. And we're glad you're a part of it, Craig. So appreciate well, you, appreciate, appreciate you being on and, um, uh, being a part of 1881. Well, I want to thank you for the invite. It's just been an honor, Shane, and um, I'm really happy you're there and uh, with your background and knowledge uh, to perpetuate, you know, the the tradition of of uh, 
of discovery and and advancing of the breed and and uh, you know it's a great time uh, to be in the cattle business uh, you know over generations we always said that and it's a great time to be in the cattle business because cattle people love it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a built in their DNA you know the challenges of the business is what gets them up early in the morning and uh, going late at night. And it's just great that I can have just a small part of that again uh, by working with you folks and our team here at CSU. Well, thank you very much, sir. Enjoyed it. And um, I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. Um, Keep uh, sending us info of folks that you would like to have on and uh, we'll we'll try to meet those requests. And uh, we certainly appreciate you tuning in to 1881 and uh, again we're going to be bringing you some some really neat episodes the remainder of the fall and as we push into annual meeting again mark your calendars folks um october means two things the american royal and the hereford annual meeting it happens craig it's in the bylaws isn't it 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 says that uh, the annual meeting has to occur (laughs) during the american royal in kansas city missouri so you know, well, my calendar, my calendar's right. You've got delegate elections here coming up pretty fast. And the, those quadrants have got to be full, you know, <laughs> Minimal, yep. no fewer right. than one and no more than four. So I think it's probably reads the same. <laughs> the phone calls are being made and, uh, we're, with the short list is getting shorter and, uh, we're, we're excited. It's just a, it's a, it's a great time. And I think, you know, as you can attest to Craig, you know, getting all the members back in town. I mean, there's some of these folks that, uh, you know, they, they don't see each other, but once a year and that's in Kansas city, you know, and, uh, I, yeah. I, you know, I just remember trying to get those meetings started, boy, it was like a family reunion around the, <laughs> around the buffet, you know, it was, uh, everybody gets excited and, and yep. the visiting starts and it's a great time, great yep. time of year. So if you haven't uh, made your hotel plans yet for uh, annual meeting, do so. All of that information is on our website. Uh, we'll be at the Lowe's Hotel at the old Hereford headquarters there on 1501 Wyandotte, um, right there at the old headquarters. Uh, is where we'll be uh, hosting the convention. And so make sure you get your room reservation. Um, and it's just not for delegates, folks. I want I want to tell you that uh, we've got a great educational program planned for Friday, and uh, there'll be a lot of networking and, and an opportunity uh, to learn uh, about the latest research, more about the projects that we're doing, and you'll get to hear uh, from some of our other departments uh, here at the association about what they've been working on to help you as members uh, uh, move forward. So we're excited. To host you here, um, here at the end of October, there uh, in Kansas City, I believe uh, the twenty first, twenty first through the twenty third of October. So look forward to seeing you in uh, Kansas City here, uh, here in October. And with that, we're signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hereford Association's podcast, eighteen eighty one, with host Shane Bedwell. For more information, visit Hereford.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.